0: this is the blue moon podcast coming up we've got all the news and views from manchester city's week get involved with the debate by tweeting at blue moon podcast and check out exclusive interviews on blue moon it's your club and this is your show
1: okay so we might have picked a bad time for the show to go live this week We all know you're off watching that new Amazon documentary about City and we know you're probably not listening to this. As if that's going to stop us, welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast where we're looking back at that superb start to the Premier League campaign with the 2-0 win at Arsenal. Pep Guardiola's title defence is often underway and Sam Roscoe's been digging through the history books to see what lessons the manager can learn from City's previous attempts at defending the title. They're yet to do it successfully after all. We'll hear exclusively from Kyle Walker on how this season is shaping up and how Phil Foden could push for a first team place, especially with the recent injury to Kevin De Bruyne. Alistair Mann will be chatting to us about what he's expecting for the campaign, plus we'll be looking ahead to Sunday's match with Huddersfield as well and just in case anybody is actually listening I'm your host this week David Mooney and I'm joined in the studio by Manchester City fan Howard Hawking. Hello. How are you doing are you well? Yeah I'm fine thank you. Good to hear and there's a very 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 late substitute we've got John McKenzie the football editor of Real Sports. Hello how are you going? That's not too bad I mean thank you for, for coming on at such short notice John because just when I say late substitute it is I mean literally 20 minutes ago I asked you if you were available so I mean you know all credit to you.
2: Yeah, it's the 11th hour. But, you know, any chance to talk about Manchester City and their current iteration is always going to go down well with me. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, we we better crack on because, I mean, we'll start with that, with the the 2-0 win at Arsenal. Um, it's, I, I mean, how would it it's a bit odd, I suppose, where you can feel like City should have scored a lot more but still feel like they were
3: a bit below par. Yeah, yeah it wasn't perfect, but I didn't really care, to be honest, because I always uh, get the, the feeling that the champions get a nice easy... Uh, introduction to a new season, uh, so I expected promoted team at home. So <laughs> uh, I was worried about Arsenal away because you just—it's a bit of a lottery in a way. I think with two full teams we would have won, you know, in the middle of the season. But new manager after 22 years for Arsenal, uh, we, we obviously have problems with. Had no idea which team was going to put out. So at the end of the day, I was just to use an obvious cliche. I was just really glad that they won, and there was enough there to. To think they're just going to carry on where they left off last season. John, what did what did you make of
1: uh, of City's performance? Because I mean, as we said, you know, the the team was was very much rotated. There was uh, there was a lot of the uh, a lot of the star names you'd expect to be in there for a normal City team weren't there, um, and they still they, they got the job done, didn't they?
2: Yeah, they did. I, I don't think there was really any doubt that they were going to win. And as Howard says, you know, there were so many. So many things that were being thrown into the mix that could have caused an upset and it's for example, the fact that there's players out because of uh, late starts because of World Cups um, and new managers on the on the opposition side, new players on the opposition side and I think with all that in mind it's 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 one of those games where I think were I a city fan i would I would look at it and say, yeah job done, we've done what we wanted in comfortably beating a, a potential well a top six rival. And we've we've done it without really having anything to to sweat about. So I think yeah, job done. Um, and I guess look look forward to the future from this point onwards.
1: Raheem Sterling was was taking the plaudits. Howard, he I mean, did you first off did you realise that goal had gone in when it happened? Nope. <laughs> I think it's I,
3: I think it, cause it hit the microphone and and it didn't sound. Yeah, I, I tend to. Uh, I don't have the best eyesight anyway. So when I'm at matches, sometimes I, t- I tend to wait. Uh, for the reaction of players, know <laughs> anyway, if it's at the far end. Yeah, it was strange. It wasn't in the corner. Uh, yeah, it's the thing it hit in the back of the net. But uh, yeah, it did take me a second or two to realise. Uh, but what can you say about Sterling? It's just, you know, it's another difficult summer for him. When he plays for his country, you just feel like, well, you just wish he wouldn't <laughs> in a way, because you're just sick of uh, the attention. But it really doesn't seem to affect him as soon as he puts a City shirt on.
1: I was good at John I mean you're, you you can obviously look at this from a from a different point of view from from me and Howard because you know obviously not being a city fan you're not you don't have that kind of emotional investment in in Raheem Sterling that we do what what do you make of, of the way that Sterling is treated for England over city
2: yeah you know you, I mean you say I don't have have that emotional attachment but I think there's a there is a growing group of people for whom the way that Sterling is treated in the media, and I know we're going to move on to talk about this, but the way that he's treated in the media means that he's just, he's almost elevated in our in our uh, emotions because we want him to do well. Um, I think, you know, for, for Sterling, the position that he plays in England is obviously different to the position he plays for, for City, and, and, the, and Guardiola has built the team in such a way that Sterling fits in quite nicely. Um, playing as a sort of off the off the frontman striker like he does for England is, is I don't think he's not he's not as suited to that position. I still think he's very good in that position I think he was central to a lot of the things that England did um, but yeah I, I think that I, that's the difference England, international football is different to to domestic football. And um, one of the one of the things about that is the fact that Manchester City are drilled so close, closely into the system with with Guardiola that that's, that you really get the benefits from Sterling. That's not quite the case for England, and so you don't quite see the the obvious benefits such as such as goals. But a lovely a lovely goal, a well taken goal, and a goal that we're starting to associate with Raheem Sterling. You know, he is he does seem to have a, a tendency to to score those ones sort of edge of the box, um, curling them into the into the far corner. Um, Maybe not quite so corner this time, but it's the it's the ones where he's he's almost too likely to score that you worry about with 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 Sterling. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the open yeah. goals from
1: from three yards. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think Sterling is a fantastic player for both club and country. I just think that the, because the roles are different, um, it's a lot easier to to sort of admire him uh, as as in the role he plays at, at City. I mean, you can't. I mean, he answered his critics,
1: didn't he, Howard? That's that's yeah. it. That's ultimately yeah. And the the celebration, you can kind. Of, I mean, you you understand it because it's. I mean, it, it must be tough for him to to constantly have all this again and again and again.
3: Yeah, because I, I I'm pretty sure he reads stuff. Yeah, he's not. You can't. You that, can't not
1: though, can you? That's the thing.
3: I think you can ignore. I mean, he's. I mean, he's got social media accounts. And I think he, he'll see a lot of what's written about him. Yeah, and he's aware of. Newspaper articles, you know, about stupid things like going for breakfast. To be well aware, he will be told about that. Uh, yes, yeah, just going back to England, I do think quite a few players took a, you know, took a metaphorical bullet for in uh, that tournament, and Sterling and alley players like that, even Kane to an extent. Those front three took really had their roles restricted for the good of the team, but I don't mm-hmm. think a lot. Yeah, you know, but only one player really got stick for that and that player was Sterling. Uh, I don't... I want England to do well, but I don't really care. And, you know, If it continues, it's bad for him if he can't replicate his form for the country. But, yeah, if he does it for City, then, you know, he's All the good. All better, yeah. Yeah, unless um, he refuses to sign a new contract. In case.
1: <laughs> we're we're going to come on to that <laughs> a bit later on. Um, Ian Wright's been uh, speaking this week about the topic. He spoke to BBC Radio 5 Live.
4: When you look at the, the wave of criticism that he takes... It's it's tinged. There's a certain amount of, you know, racism towards it. If if I'm going to be totally honest, you have to. What else can it be? You know, they're literally picking on somebody who's come from the the background he's come from and they literally want to keep him down. Mm. Whatever he does, however high he reaches, whatever it does, they want to drag that back down. It's almost like they don't want him to continue to be a success. And when he's at Manchester City... He, he, he's, he's comfortable, he's happy. When he's with England, he's out there for everybody to knock and have a go at. And that's what it comes down to. There's, a, there's, a, there's an element of people at the high uh, 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 end of, of media that want to keep that guy down. He's looking forward to playing for City. Is he looking forward to playing for England? He will probably say, yes, I am. And and you look at that bunch of guys and they were were magnificent and he probably does love that bunch of guys and the longer he stays with them, hopefully then we'll start to see him replicate the form for City but, In in the main, he's in a happier place at City by a a million miles. So
3: would you say he had a better season than Rashford last season? Yes. Than Jesse Lingard? Yes. Then why don't they take the
4: same amount of stick? Don't know. It's a different kind of... Different different character. Different kind of character. He he doesn't... They don't get that stick because for whatever reason... They don't rub people up like maybe people look at him and the way he is and what he does. And, then you you know, we saw the stuff with the tattoo, whatever we want to think about that. He rubs certain people Mm. in the the corridors of power. He rubs them up the wrong way. And there's only one way they're going to try to bring him down. Because if you're going to try and do it um, for him at Manchester City, it's not going to work. He's got too much protection. But he's going to do it at England, where he's out there for everybody to slaughter when he doesn't do well, and it, all of a sudden it's open house if he doesn't. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's open house if he if he doesn't play well. That's when it just you start seeing all the stupidness come, and and, and that is what I put it down to.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Ian Wright speaking to Five Live. Uh, first off, do you, I mean, do you agree with, with what with with his, his kind of sentiment on uh, on that a lot of this is down to Sterling's skin colour?
3: I think it's been brewing. A long time. It was the elephant in the room, so to speak, that people were beginning to think, why do you keep picking on this player? Now, I can find new articles of, I don't not maybe not Harry Kane, but a white footballer taking pictures of him going for a cup of coffee and you're thinking, you yeah, know, it's not just black players, but there does seem to be, in what we term uh, right-wing press, a problem with young black men with money and I, th- I think it needs to be said at the end of the day. I think it needs the are different criteria for how, you know, other uh footballers are dealt with. You just have to look at how Harry Kane is treated and how you know and have nothing against Harry Kane whatsoever. How he is treated is how he should be treated. Just concentrate on his football skills, that's all people should care about. But it goes further with Raheem Sterling. The other mitigating circumstances is, of course, that he left Liverpool and they didn't want him to leave and they have a powerful presence in the media. But I don't think we can just use that anymore as an excuse. for.
1: He's been at City since 2015. Yeah, I think there has to come a point
3: where you say, well, there must be other reasons for essentially stalking him uh, day in,
2: day out.
1: John, I mean, when it comes to somebody speaking out about this, do you think Ian Wright was, was, was right to do it?
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, as Howard said, there is clearly a different level of, of um, scrutiny held against Sterling, and and, and it does. It, it is just it's downright racism. I think there's no other way that you can look at it. Now, the question of why outlets um, such as the Daily Mail glory in these sorts of things is partly because they are catering to a readership, but also partly because they know that if they cause a stir, then they'll probably double their readership because everyone then will head over to see what what it is so they, i mean after the world cup they they just went through a habit of just adding an ellipsis and saying after his shock world cup exit or something you know which obviously doesn't happen with any any of the other players mm. um and happens happens after champions league exits as, as well so yeah the, there's an unsavory aspect to this and it, and it's and it's this for me like what I've, I've heard a lot of people say well you know when jack Grealish was was found drunk on holiday they, that made it into the press um but with, with Sterling, there's, there's very little wrong that he's ever done. That you know, There's very little that you can actually point to and say this is worthy of the sort of um, excoriating takes that the press seem to constantly le- level at him. So I think Ian Wright, Ian Wright will know more than anyone the, sort of, the, the way that the, the, the press can, can target things in a racist way. And I think it's about time we started listening to these sorts of people who have those experiences and, and thinking very carefully about the way that we portray people in the media.
1: Just quickly, I mean, when when it comes to to football and and this sort of topic, I think, do you you reckon a lot of people don't recognise the the kind of privilege that they have? Like us talking about, we're we're three white men talking about it, if Uh, that makes it, you see what I mean?
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, and, uh, you know, I think that's one reason why this sort of thing has not been been highlighted so much, is because the majority of the time when things like this are happening, there are three white men in a room discussing it around a microphone, and, and... I, you have to take that sort of uh, critique seriously, which is why, uh, as I as I pointed out in my answer, you know Ian Wright knows more than anyone what the, what this, the sort of um, you know, the effects that this can have and and what's at stake, um, and and until football football media is is willing to deal with these sorts of. Um, issues, then then there's going to remain a problem. And one thing I would say is that given that so much of uh, the interest that we have, or so much of our business is generated through um, responding to what we perceive of as being audience interest, it's very, very easy to slip into these sorts of ways of, of generating interest where you can, obviously the, the reason why the broadsheet, uh, the, the tabloids are doing this is because they know that they will generate interest. And I think, you know, that there's an ethical injunction there that you have to ask, like, what what is and isn't responsible behavior by the press. Um, so, yeah, I, I would certainly say that.
1: Now then, uh, get, just getting back to, uh, to the Arsenal game, Bernardo Silva was, uh, was one of the shining lights. He obviously got the, uh, the second goal, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those that, that he, he just got into a position where he thought, I'm going to belt this, and belted it, so it, it, it looked quite good. Um, but it, uh, he's been quite the shining light be, uh, behind the scenes, hasn't he, Howard, for the last kind of couple of weeks, certainly towards the back end of last season and the, and the early games of this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a stat for last season that he was involved in more games, I think third most games, so Edison was Bobby at the top, and he's third. But that's a bit skewed because, obviously, he started his career coming on as a substitute for a while, and that was fine because City didn't need him. He didn't need to be rushed into the side. It wasn't a problem. Obviously, he's come to a new country, and the team were playing brilliantly. But all through the season, month by month, he's just got better and better. He's just settled down, improved. And I think uh, Pep Guardiola said, after the community shield, it was we have Bernardo Silva and ten others or something. You know, for the next game, he was just the standout star in pre-season. He just was up for it from the first game, and he's just a joy to watch. He really is. Uh, and what is he? Twenty-four? He just turned twenty-four?
1: He's he's certainly younger. I mean, I, I think I, he's
3: just had a birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, yeah. Can he do David Silva's job? Is yeah? You know, what everyone's asking is he the heir apparent? Well. That's you know, David Silver's my favourite player ever. He's got some way to go there. Hmm. But he's got the control of a football that why not? Why not at all? Yeah, what was David Silver doing at twenty four? He's just you know, he's got his best years ahead of him, he's just a joy to watch and he's he's banging form. And he's also got sorry, he's also got something that David's perhaps not got, as we've seen the last two games at the Emirates is a goal threat as well, so
1: well, I, was, I was going to say, I mean, just in terms of David Silva, where he signed for City about 24, 25,
3: didn't he? You've got a much better memory. Yeah, I think he's been here so he's been, seven if, years. Yeah, about yeah, seven six, seven year. years. Yeah, yeah. Seven.
1: So, so, I mean, there's, there's certainly the, the opportunity for him to grow into that exactly, role. Exactly, yeah. Um, John, obviously that we've had the injury to, to Kevin De Bruyne, which has happened um, in, in, obviously in training after the Arsenal game. Um, does that open the door for, for someone like Bernardo Silva to really nail a place in this team?
2: Yeah an interesting interesting question i think what i would say in response to that is i think bernardo silva was always brought in to be the heir apparent to david silva you know if you think back to last season um guardiola started off playing in the 352 formation which was then scuppered somewhat by by uh, benjamin mendy getting getting his uh, ligament injury and, and and being out for the season that's when they switched to the the 433 because if you think about it um at this point City had, had Bernardo Silva, they had Sterling, and they had Sané all as wide players. Um, and I don't think that was... And they've obviously brought in Mares as well now. The, the intention is not to have four wide players in, in the squad. Um, so I think Silva was always intended to be slowly f- phased in, um, in, in the middle, um, in, into, a, into a 3-5-2 formation. Now, given that De Bruyne is, is looking like he's going to be out for a couple of months to, to three months... Obviously, they're going to have to try and, and field both of the silvers in the midfield, um, which will be, I guess, an interesting proposition. The question will be, which formation do they decide decide to use? Um, because obviously, with the with the the three five two formation, you're getting your width from your your wing backs rather than from your um, front three. You don't have a front three, obviously, you have a front two. So, I I think I think it will be fine. Um, I think Sil- silver was always intended to be um, a replacement of a David Silver. The question is whether or not the two Silvers can work together, whether or not they're perhaps too similar. Um, But I think a a, a nice... Early game against Huddersfield might be might be a good a good match for the two of them to work out their r- relationship in that regard.
1: Well, of course, I mean we talked about uh, about De Bruyne's impact in that Arsenal game. There, there was a, st- a spell where Arsenal were getting back on top of the game, and and Guardiola just he he, he made the switch really just before the hour mark. He took Mares off and brought De Bruyne on, and it just swung the game back into City's favour. Um, how much of a miss is he going to be, John?
2: Yeah, he'll be a huge miss. I mean, De Bruyne is he's he's an outlier kind of player you know he's one of the players who you watch him play and you look at the stats and 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 he he's always the one of those one of those uh, elusive dots on the far far side where where there's not many players and you can see that he's doing everything well um bringing him on late against Arsenal I think is always going to be a good move because you know that he's going to bring um he, he's I mean he's just ruthlessly efficient isn't he everything that 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 man does is the best thing that you can do in that moment on the ball I think that's why so many people get so much joy from watching him play. Um, I, I certainly do. But you know that whenever he makes a decision, almost exclusively, he makes the right decision. He's like the opposite of Alexis Sanchez. Um, <laughs> in that regard, to throw in a cheap Manchester United jibe there, um, but we're yeah, all for him. Don't yeah, worry about yeah. it. You <laughs> could come on again, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and that is that is why the way that football is played now, football has changed in recent years, and, and it, the, the game has. Has just shifted so that it suits someone like De Bruyne, or someone who's he's he's good on he's good on the ball. He finds space. He can find other people in space. He just has that ability to pick up the ball and drive. Um, and he he's always transitioning the play. Always. That's for for me. And that's why I think Guardiola is so um, so dependent on him as as a player because he. So much of football now is about moving the ball into different phases of play. And you, and you know with De Bruyne that he will do that. He'll take the ball from one phase and move it into a more dangerous phase all the time. So, yeah, there's no doubt that, that missing De Bruyne will, will be a problem. But I don't think, I think there's enough depth there. And it's an easy thing to say. But I think there are enough players there to, to be able to offset that, that loss. And one of, the, one of the comforting things about having Guardiola as a manager is that you know that he'll know exactly what to do. To, to offset that he won't try and play the same formation he won't try and play the same um, systems of play he will he will tweak things and and the players will know what to do on the field
1: How does it open up opportunities opportunities for anybody else? I'm thinking you know obviously Mares has come in and and maybe now has more of an opportunity wide because there'll be no, less competition with silver. Obviously Phil Foden's there as well.
3: yeah, well Foden is the obvious answer to that question. What I don't know is at what point will Guardiola uh, play him. I was going to say, at what point does he trust him? Yeah, because Arsenal way, I never thought he was going to start because it's quite a big game. But look at the the teams coming up. There's no reason why Foden cannot start at home to Huddersfield or against Newcastle. Away to Wolves? Away to Wolves. It's a tricky Not one. Sure. Yeah, he obviously. You know, he thinks the world of Foden, as we all do. He's going to be a star But the fact is, he's still not—he's not (laughs) David Silva. He's not a Bernardo Silva. So you've got to be careful, Uh, and it depends how confident he is about. You know, he wants the team still. He'll never eases off. So he'll want that team to be working 100% efficiency. Uh, My general feeling is, I don't—I don't think he'll give him starts just yet. But at some point in the season, he will. Uh, as for Maras, well, Bernardo Silva, you know, relevant to De Bruyne, I think Bernardo Silva was always going to star centrally anyway. Obviously, he's been, he can be moved wide, and I think he was late on in that Arsenal game. But yeah, it does. I don't think. I think Maras would have got his chances anyway, as long as he performs. So,
1: how do you think he's doing? Just quickly,
3: he's doing a seven out of ten. I reckon he's he's coming. He's played okay, but he's not hit the headlines yet. Uh, I think we're waiting. I think a goal would spark it off, just like or home sterling for England. A goal would uh, make all the difference. Obviously, he's not just about goals; he's about you know his attacking intent and putting assists and you know stretching the pitch. I thought it worked pretty well. We're down that flank with Walker, uh, but you know the stats won't show that he's not exploded yet. But he's, I think, uh, the fuse has been lit. Maybe. Yeah, he's he's doing okay and uh, nothing to worry about. <laughs> uh it's just such a high standard that you expect you know play like that and of course it's come with a huge fee so you're expected to come in kill three kicks in you know bend it in from 35 yards but you know at some point he will do all of those things so no concern at the moment and it'll build a relationship as well you know with Walker down that side or with you know any fullback on either side so
1: well this week uh, saw the premiere of the Amazon Prime documentary about City. Uh, Carl Walker was speaking at that event. He spoke about how the season's going so far and uh, the impact of Kevin De Bruyne's injury. Here's what you he had to say. Obviously last season was my first season so to come into a season of that and to do what we did you
5: know in the footballing way that we did it I think is fantastic and I think the you know the, in the dressing room it kind of portrayed onto the pitch where we was together in the dressing room and together on the pitch so um, I feel that's what probably got us over the line and got us the 100 points really that we wanted uh, when we knew that we could reach that target Is that going to be the big thing this year as you go for more trophies look at Champions League the kind of unity within I think we have to set we have to set new targets for ourselves and we, we can't um, kind of keep the bar at the same level but you know to break 100 points in the Premier League again is that going to happen maybe not um, it's going to be a tough task, but as I say, we just need to adapt ourselves to how we did last season, and hopefully we can pick up a few more trophies on the way. What Do you think, think Kevin
1: could be a blow though today? We
5: yeah. to saw the uh, injury, did you? No, no, Kevin's a great player, and it's just unfortunate. It's today in training, but there's there's more than you know enough depth in the squad in Manchester City to you know we don't just rely on one player. It's a team game and. Um, you know whoever steps in for Kevin or you know even if Kevin wasn't to play, you know, it's obviously a big loss but we've got more than enough cover. And Phil will probably get a bit more game
2: time now you think. Yeah, what yeah, yeah, like play?
5: obviously, you know, Phil Phil's a great great absolute great player and more importantly I've said it before, he's a great lad. You know, he wants to learn, he's keen to listen. I've met a young you know, a lot of young players throughout my career now. Um, that kind of got a chip on the shoulder, um, but he's definitely not one of them. He's one of them that wants to learn, and I think he shows that in his performances. That you know he's keen, he's energetic, and he's you know he's keeping people on the toes really.
1: You were saying about Phil's character before. What kind of stuff do you pick up on a day-to-day basis? Is it like please, please and thank yous, and things like that? Or? No,
5: it's just the simple things in football. You know, then there's a lot of experienced players in, in the change room that have. That have won a lot of things here. You know, even for me coming here, I, I okay, I played a lot of Premiership games, but I, I didn't really win anything. So you have to show a level of respect to the players that you know have gone and achieved the things that you want to achieve in your career. Obviously, Phil's been very fortunate in his first season. You know, around the first team squad to pick up a Premier League medal, not many kids can say that they've done that. But you know, he's not rested on that. He could have come back, you know, from the summer not really trained hard, uh, gone and parted or whatever. Which, which young kids do nowadays, and he's not done that you know he's been working hard you can see he's been working hard he was even out in Russia you know so that's how much he loves the game of football uh, did, did you see him in Russia? no I've seen it I've seen a few Instagram posts and everything when he was with Cesson Young and I think that just shows his enthusiasm for the game and it, it's great to see I think you're
2: obviously a senior kind of player in some instances senior players have to put their arm round Youngsters, but you don't have to do that well with Phil. I don't that?
5: think you have to put your arm around him because he's he's not that type of person. But I feel that if he was, you know, getting out of out of hand or you know getting a bit too big for his boots, as they say, you know, I think Vinny will probably be the first one to step in and say, "Come on, Phil, you know that's not you." And you no, know, just keep your head down
2: and keep working. The manager said the other week that he, he was yeah, going to be even tougher. Those were his words, you know, even tougher on you guys, just to make sure there's no complacency. Have you noticed anything like that? In the yeah, first yeah, yeah, weeks yeah.
5: It's been a big change. Um, obviously he's not striving for one title and so you know we're not as well we, we want more and we kind of want to you know i don't want to sound beginning we want to dominate english football you know i think we've got the players in here we've definitely a manager to do that so but we need to you know keep listening you know every day is a learning day and we can always adjust the tactics adjust to different formations and That's something that we need to take on as a group, you know, collectively, that's managing and players, you know, to make sure that we can, you know, dominate English games.
0: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Carl Walker speaking at the Amazon Prime uh, documentary launch. Um, Just looking at um, a a couple of other kind of footnotes now from the the Arsenal game. Um,
3: Sergio Aguero um, didn't, he had chances, didn't he? I don't really have a problem with strikers being selfish. So it's like, yes, he should have squared it. And, you know, if he'd looked up, and we've seen plenty of City goals in the last couple of years where they do that, where they're so in tune with each other that they can be through on goal and lay it off for an empty net. Uh,
1: but a one-on-one, you don't pass up a
3: one-on-one, do you? Yeah, striker, I mean, literally, go- I was mean, straight through on goal, and I don't think there was a defender near. him. So really, he's got the time, he's going to look up, he's going to put a shot, and the shot was on target. Perhaps we should... To say, well, it was a good save. The goalkeeper anticipated it. I think, yeah, he's not got the goals. Well, not in the last game, but I think his work rate was first rate. To be honest. Well, this is this is kind of what I was leading you into, John. Is he
1: is he now the perfect kind of Guardiola striker? Do you reckon? Because the, the work rate he gets through, it's just so much higher than it than it ever was before.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, it was only a couple of seasons ago that everyone was talking about whether or not Aguero would be moving on from City because he wasn't a Guardiola striker. Um, but you know, I, I, look, I'm the first person to to wax lyrical about Agüero. You only need to look at his goal scoring record across his career, and it's just phenomenal. There's very, very few strikers who can who can match it. And even even when Harry Kane is is at his best, he's he's only just ahead of Agüero's all time goal scoring record record per minutes. And he's yeah, he's just a phenomenal player that I think. Guardiola and Guardiola what's so great about him is that he recognizes that he's a there's all this talk about Mourinho being the pragmatist and Guardiola being the idealist but in in so many regards Guardiola is the pragmatist he takes what he's got and makes makes it work and 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 is Yes, he has a system that he he will rely on, but at the same time, that system is is able to be tweaked. It is able to be um, moved around so that when you've got someone like an Aguero who, who perhaps might not fit it into some of his earlier iterations of teams, he makes he makes him work. And you know, if this is something I think that comes back to what you were talking about with 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 Mares. I mean, you say to you Mares really kind of got got going yet for City? Well, he's he's had very little time, and it took the whole City team. Over a, over a season to get used to playing the way that they expect, uh, that, G- that Guardiola expects them to play. It's it's not easy fitting into those systems. Guardiola is he plays this sort of system which is called positional play, which is all about the manipulation of space. It's all about knowing how to how to um, have over overloads in certain areas and how to how to cause space in other areas and get the ball into those areas. So it will, take, it will take time. And I think that was the same with Aguero. Is that he has grown into the system. And I, I think having, having a combination of Aguero and, and Jesus on, on your side must be, I mean, it's enviable, to, to say the least.
1: Now then, um, Benjamin Mendy, we touched on him earlier on. This is what, uh, what Pep Guardiola had to say about his performance at the Emirates.
5: Mendy is, is, is Mendy in the terms, is what it is. So sometimes you wanna kill him. <laughs> and sometimes you say, wow, what a player we have, you <laughs> no? He gives us this extra energy with Kyle, with with him, that that help us, you know, when he attacking that consistency is so important. But Mandy has a lot, a lot of things to improve. Hopefully we can convince him to be calm, to forget a little bit the social media and <laughs> and focus what he has to do. <laughs>
0: Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Um,
1: Pep Guardiola speaking about uh, Benjamin Mendy there. Um, what did you make of Mendy's afternoon? Because Guardiola, he, he was he, he, a bit disparaging, wasn't he?
3: Yeah. Oh, well, he was both. He was like, oh, he's, like he's brilliant and terrible. Uh, I'm obviously frustrated by his social like media, media footballer out. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, I think we know. He's very, again... He's essentially a new signing because he's had so little football, and we saw in Guardiola's first season players just took so long to to understand what was expected of them. I expect the same for him, to be honest. But we know he, you look at him, you think he's rash. He may not be the most disciplined because he loves going forward. I thought he was generally excellent, though, because. Obviously, he got two assists, and an assist can mean anything. It can be just late to someone, and he, you know, well, is it in from 35 (laughs) yards? That's not great skill, you know, uh, for an assist. But he was. The second assist was was pretty good. That was okay, yep. Though it needed Bernardo Silva to anticipate it, I think, as it came across. Uh, I I think he did well with this, you know, the underlapping and the overlap and switching with Raheem Sterling. And I think they had a good understanding on that flank. And I don't think at least. Certainly for the first 25 minutes, Arsenal couldn't cope with that. He just, he obviously has to take on board, this is key, like every player under Pep, he has to take on board what he's told and be disciplined. But he did drop back, he did switch. I think it's just stay fit, practice, and uh, hopefully he'll cut out mistakes. But I think from what he offers going forward, maybe we just have to accept that one in every few games he'll do something that, you know, will displease us and his manager.
1: John, I don't know if you saw, um, the city official account tweeted out Guardiola's comments from from that clip there and the the first response was Mendy saying that, Oh yes, I'll try, I'm sorry, sort of thing. <laughs> just you yeah, can't it's... you can't not love the guy, can you? <laughs>
2: uh he's he is yeah, he is very uh he's very good fun. Um but also he's got great fun on the pitch as well. Um and I found I found it yeah interesting because, you know, obviously as I said before, if given that that Mendy was was brought in to play as a sort of wing-back in a 3-5-2 system. It, it was interesting watching him playing in a 4-3-3, and I expected him to be more of a regular full-back slash wing-back in that system. But he did he did play very similar to the way that Thayndale played, uh, by by inverting and, and getting the underlaps and coming inside. It was almost reminiscent of watching Marcelo play. Um And obviously that's where the frustration came in, I, I guess, for, for Guardiola, because... You know, you can't you can't simply attack with without any uh, heed at all to defence, particularly in a game against Arsenal. But I think that the way that Guardiola is dealing with with Mendy is is quite interesting because he's clearly he's clearly targeting him, him as someone who will respond to criticism. Uh, not, I mean, it's not overt criticism, but he's the sort of. I think the fact that he's willing to say to him. You need to work at this. You need to not do this, etc. And obviously, Mendy takes that in his stride. Uh, but I think that that's interesting. He clearly he clearly sees him as a player who can be um, instructed through through manipulation of the media as well. So yeah, I think it will be interesting to see how Mendy Mendy performs overall.
1: Final thoughts on uh, on the Arsenal game. A couple of uh, couple of players come under under fire in certain places. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan didn't get um, a, a, a great reception, I'd say, from, from looking by City fans on social media. What's well, new? So, <laughs> well, I mean, he, I thought he did all right.
3: He did do all right. It's just he's not Kevin De Bruyne. I think he was sloppy, but I think we can put. That down to about five players. I mean, Edison I was say gave Edison the ball as well, to yeah. their attackers three times in the last ten minutes, but we won't have a go at him because he's Edison. Well, I was just about to have a go at him actually. So, uh, so, <laughs> no, but so I mean, yeah. no, but your your Twitter feed won't be full, of, you know, of people saying, "Oh my God, he's terrible," because obviously he isn't. <laughs> uh, but he was sloppy on the day. I don't, don't think he's played since April, actually, so perfectly understandable. But Gundogan, he you was know, wearing a mask as well, which can't help. None of these players got much football. I'm not really going to make conclusions about him off, off the first of game. Of minutes the, or so. Yeah, and I think the problem with him, I still don't... Do we know where he would really excel? Is he deep-lying or is he attacking? I don't think any... Or is he in the middle? Uh, is it, you know, it's just filling in somewhat and players that do that just can't get a rhythm going and get the performances together. But when he does put in brilliant performances, you won't hear much said about it. So he's... I like him, he's a great player. He's just not one of the world's best. Uh, I don't know what we expect of him. If he puts that performance in game after game, then, yeah, there's a problem, because there was misplaced passes. But for but the first game the, of the season, it's... Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't the only one, so,
1: you know. John, just final word on, uh, on Edison. Um, he, he was surely just a bit bored at the end, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, I think the, the context of the game is that Arsenal were, were pressing very high and very hard which, one, you don't expect to see from an Arsenal side, but um, also I think is in a game of that magnitude. And, and let's face it, City don't often get pressed quite that high and quite that hard that often. So it, there, were, there were moments when the, the the playing out from the back looked a little bit shabby. Uh, but again, I think it's a combination of, of everyone coming back for the first game. It being a big game to kick off season with, um, and like you say, the fact that he hadn't played for for a very long time. I don't think it will be too much of an issue going forward, um, because we've seen how good Edison is at playing out with his feet. Um, so I, I, again, I think it's just it's just early season nerves, maybe um, facing Arsenal, and then and then a little bit of rustiness, perhaps.
1: Now then, uh, moving on, and Pep Guardiola made history last season with a number of records he and his Manchester City side broke. A successful title defence would add to that achievement, as it would be the first time the team had won back-to-back championships in their 124-year history. Sam Roscoe has been looking back at previous title defences to see what lessons can be learnt. City's first title defence was a disaster. It's actually quite easy to predict who's gonna be roundabout where you've got that that kind of Mini league towards the top and even then you, you, you can look inside that to, to, to a few teams that are more likely to win the league than others back in the 30s it was, it, there was a much wider spread of teams that could go on to win the title it was so unpredictable that when City came to their first title defence because it was their first title in 1937 their first title defence ended in relegation in 1938 that's the Blue Moon podcast David
6: Mooney explaining what happened as City won the title in 1937 he told us how it went wrong The following year, they were just a
1: lot more inconsistent. The following season, you know, they they still scored goals. They when they when they won the title, they scored over 100 goals. I think it was 107, 106, 107. Um, when they went down the following season they actually went down as top scorers in the top division it was just that the defence had, had let them down so much as well they were, they, they had one of the worst defences in the league as well um, so they, they, they went down in second to last place they were 21st out of out of 22 and, and went down with West Brom and, and at the moment as it stands are still the uh, the only reigning champions to be relegated from the top flight of English football It should be a source of embarrassment
6: but for supporters it's actually a very odd badge of honour Here's one football's
7: Dan Burke. I remember there was a time, a season before last, when it looked like Leicester uh, were in danger of getting relegated, having having won the league the previous season. I remember thinking, they can't do that, that's our thing. Uh, you know, we're the the ultimate, uh, you know, for what, what we did in the 1930s, is the ultimate failure, the ultimate winning the league one season, being relegated the next um I like to think that never happens again. I'm, I'm very sort of perversely proud of, of, uh, of City being able to do that. It's the the ultimate antithesis of of the typical City mentality, and um, a nice little reminder that uh, you know no, no matter how successful we are these days, it can always
6: uh, just turn to dust in an instant, really. And turn to dust it did. It was over 30 years until City next won the league, and it was the swashbuckling side of the 1960s that brought home the bacon. Former manager Joe Mercer, speaking here to the BBC some years later, recalled his and Malcolm Allison's team.
8: We won the second division, won the first division, won the Cup, League Cup, charity Shield Cup, Winners' Cup, you know, everything but the Grand National.
6: Mercer remembers how he reacted to Allison's suggestion of signing Tony Buck when they were
8: after a fullback. Tony Buck, I said, he must be 38. He said, how old is you when I to Arsenal? I said, well... And... Uh, he did miracles for us, Tony, but he was so quick. People didn't realise how quick he was. He, he, I, think we, I think he was 36 when we saw him. And he could turn around, his speed was fabulous. Wasn't a good kick, a good kick, but he was a great tackler.
6: It was a similar story when the pair went looking at very youngster, Colin Bell.
8: Malcolm Allison had gone to see him play. And I said, well, I must go and have a look at this Colin Bell. I went to see him play, they played Bolton. And he had the worst game you ever seen in your life. And I said to Malcolm, hey, what's this? He can't play this fella. Anyway, Malcolm's a good talker. So I decided against my better judge, but what a player he turned out to be, didn't he?
6: While that team didn't go on to defend the title, it was perhaps the best performance City put in as reigning champions. Of course, in the more modern era, they'd end up as runners-up twice compared to that 13th place finish under Mercer and Allison. However, in 1969, they picked up silverware, winning the FA Cup 1-0 over Leicester at Wembley. It would be 44 years after that 1968 title until City did it again, and we never need any excuse to play this bit of commentary.
4: Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero!
6: But the season after that title win didn't go to plan. City finished second, quite some distance behind Manchester United and they were out of the title race by Christmas. They were runners-up, but they hardly put pressure on their rivals. One of the problems was a poor transfer window that summer. Ahead of the Community Shield, Roberto Mancini was frustrated at the lack of activity.
8: I said to you that for you it's important this question today. but uh, We have an important game, for me it's more important the game other yeah, things uh, speak uh, or talk uh, or ask this question I right me, because I was sporting director not even me because I don't know what I should say in this moment because after three months four months uh, I don't know
6: <laughs> the Italian kept saying to ask the sporting director why signings hadn't been made putting the pressure on Brian Marwood to get some players through the door
8: no no I'm not happy but uh, this one I won't say nothing in the moment I have my opinion that uh, we We have uh, have a good team, Uh, but we built this team two years ago. I think that uh, it's impossible that after two years uh, you did everything uh, well Uh, and uh, you need to continue to improve.
6: City missed out on their main targets and the first signing was somewhat underwhelming. Jack Rodwell arrived from Everton on the day of the Community Shield. Inconsistent form across the season left City lagging behind and defeat in the FA Cup final to Wigan was the final straw. Mancini was sacked a year to the day after he lifted the title. Is ESPN pundit Steve Nicol. You're saying about Robin van
3: Persie, he's the difference between Man United progressing and not progressing, and Mancini was not afforded that. Uh, the players that Mancini signed, uh, he didn't really
7: want. He didn't get to sign the players that he wanted to bring to the club. And No matter how much money you have, if they don't let you spend it on what you want, How can you be held responsible?
6: Mancini's replacement, Manuel Pellegrini, went on to win the league in his first season at the club. But just like all of City's previous title defences, the Chileans was over prematurely. It had all been going well. City were neck and neck with eventual champions Chelsea on New Year's Day. Literally. Their records were exactly the same, and the Stamford Bridge side were on top on alphabetical order only. Had the season finished that way, it would have meant a playoff at Wembley to decide the winner. But it didn't need that. City fell to pieces. After a one-all draw with Hull at the Etihad, leaving City without a win in four games at the start of February, Pellegrini was downbeat.
8: Lack of ideas, that's what I repeat, I think that if you see the team, you, it, it, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, give seem that we are tired, we are not uh, fighting, I think that we run a lot, we have a lot of possession, but with the ball, we are not creating the space and not, we, we are not creating a dangerous situation in their, in their box.
6: By the time City lost to United at Old Trafford in early April, the title hopes were long gone. It was the club's fourth defeat in six games. Pellegrini was seemingly hanging on by a thread.
8: We have to play another 18 points, we, we have a small, not small difference, but we have just uh, four points with United, uh, five points with Arsenal, we, they have to play. Uh, be uh, then against uh, Chelsea. There's a lot of things that we must try to fight now till the end of the season to try to recover our uh, position the table for the League
2: The
6: Chilean won his final six games, and again, City finished second. It gave a little bit of a false impression of how close it had been. You suspect the club had already lined up the move for Pep Guardiola, or they may have relieved Pellegrini of his duties at that stage. That leaves Guardiola with a big task on his hands. If he can become the first city manager to successfully defend the top flight title, then he'll have built on what was an extraordinary year for him last season. As history proves though, it won't be an easy task.
8: Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Sam Roscoe, looking at City's previous title defences. Um, looking ahead now, we've got uh, the Premier League game against Huddersfield Sunday at one thirty. Um, City, I mean City, should be better placed now to perform with with a bit more training done. Howard, they they they've had another week. They've got some more fitness under the belts. They've obviously had the good win at Arsenal. There's yeah, they've lost De Bruyne, but they've they've done it with the, the, it's happened within enough time for them to be able to come up with the kind of the, the game
3: plan for Huddersfield. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't start against Arsenal anyway. It it was probably pencilled in to start against <laughs> Huddersfield. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be honest, that wasn't that was a concern that was pretty much blown away by the time of the Community Shield. I thought I really thought coming off that World Cup, and it's the the smallest gap between a World Cup final and the start of the season since. 1966, apparently. I have so no it was like idea. 26 I... days it was, or something. Credit to you for knowing that. I'm yeah, not, not my. Obviously, a stolen <laughs> stat there. Uh, I was very worried by the teams he put out uh, in the pre season friendlies. They played well, but obviously, full of kids, which it often is at pre season. I was worried about the Arsenal game, but even by the time of the community shield, I thought players were just coming back. Kyle Walker, John Stones were just right, we were ready to go. And he threw him in as well. He threw him in and they played yeah. well. And I assume, from what I've heard, you know, they wanted to come back. They wanted to play, uh, and that's what he wants to see. And yeah, we're pretty much ready to go with Sterling starting. He was, you know, with the boy, the latest returner. I think uh, we're up and running, and with a difficult game out of the way. So yeah, they should be ready to go as long as they. I didn't eat too much popcorn at that. <laughs> no, no, That's really. the film premiere. Yeah. Well, I I don't
1: know if you saw my uh, my Twitter feed, but Riyad Mahrez, I, I the delight in his face as he walked past me with uh, a, a bucket of, of uh, sweet popcorn. When he asked the, the lady there, is it, is it sweet or salted? She said sweet. He was he, he was delighted at that. Oh. Uh, he's not not a fan of salted it's, popcorn. It's gone down and, in my estimation. Man. And <laughs> that is a Blue Moon Podcast exclusive, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, John, last season was a tough 0-0 draw for, for City in this game. It came obviously with mitigating circumstances in that it was the day where City lifted the trophy. There was, you know, it was a dead rubber as far as they were concerned, but Huddersfield still had Premier League survival to fight for. Um can we read anything from that game to kind of give us a preview to this one, or are we, are we expecting an entirely different game?
2: Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different game in a number of respects. Obviously the occasion is different. Um I look with, with, with Huddersfield we know what they're gonna do. They're gonna be well organized, they'll sit in two banks, probably of 5 and 4 or 4 and 5 in some iteration uh, and they will force Guardiola's team to 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 break them down the thing is that Guardiola's teams always break teams like this down so i i, I expect it to be uh, an exercise in 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 that sort of deep um well obviously advanced play for for city but but Huddersfield playing deep um and and trying to find space find gaps uh drag the the defense from side to side until you until you uh, can find that, that space to exploit so it will be very different to the arsenal game um but i I still think there's not too much to worry about could it be a day for patience then in that sense yeah oh no, certainly and you know how many times last season did we see city having to Having to be patient. I think there was games against West Ham, There's a game was against Brighton early on in the season, maybe Bournemouth. Um, Southampton where, was
1: the single most patient one of the, uh, of the season <laughs> yeah, with the ninety seventh yeah. minute winner or whatever it was.
2: Yeah, and you guys will be able, you guys will be able to tell me about that as fans more more than I will. Obviously that, that those those are the the nail biters that that really drag on. But you know, eventually that goal comes, and I think I think this time around they will want to probably break down earlier and then and then and then force. Huddersfield to to have to come out and play a little bit, um, whether or not they will after they go a goal down. If they if they do, then then that's another matter in But yeah, it will be very much a patience game.
1: How would it? will be totally different. I mean, it's City's game against Arsenal was a test. It was a new team, new setup, new manager. Yeah. Didn't really know what they were going to do. This is a completely different test because John says they're likely to sit quite deep. Yeah,
3: this is what Pep. I think he's yeah you know, been on television over the summer uh, talking to. Phil stroke Gary Neville, because uh, he's <laughs> called him both, uh, talking that, and he said, you know, have you got anything new ideas? And uh, I've not watched it all, but yeah, he talked about the uh, the problem last season, you know, his main problem, it's not with the biggest teams as such, it's dealing with five four one formation or low block, and City have had this problem before. Before Guardiola, this is the problem. This could be something Liverpool, you know, a problem they will face at home this season. Uh, how to deal with it? And yeah, he's he's got something in mind, of course. Uh, but it's Guardiola. <laughs> Do we know what it is? It could be absolutely anything.
1: It'll be no goalkeeper. That's what it. Is. He'll play yeah. eleven outfield players. Rush, Rush and... goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> or fly. That's what he plays anyway. Isn't yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: But I mean, I could see something like uh, what he did against Arsenal could still be used, where a full-back and the wide player just interlink, swap, and that would stretch. As yeah, as John alluded to, it's lit. I think the key is got to stretch the, their defense and that will be the key. Don't keep everything bunged up in the middle. He'll want to get it wide, wide, wide.
1: Well, what I found interesting about uh, one of the things he was he was saying, I think it was Kyle Walker speaking to Sky Sports and uh, over the summer as well. He he was explaining why City do those short passes on the halfway line and it's about dragging players over mm. to them and and yeah, as as you know fans can sit there and get frustrated that it looks like they're just passing side to side because there's nobody closing them down and then you know, it's fifteen twenty passes down the line where somebody steps out of position and bang, they go for the overload on that one side.
3: Yeah, I'm no, I'm no uh, expert on sorry at Napoli, but I read an Yeah, you know, when he came to Chelsea, I read an article, and I think you know it's very similar. It's like you're just waiting, you're trying to lull them. You know, just pass, 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 and then suddenly bang, directing you behind. And yeah, it's what you've got. What you know? What else can you do? <laughs> uh, you just. It's 90 minutes and patience is the key. I know as fans we want City to be 2-0 up after 10 minutes, but I think we do have a manager and players that are very patient and they know, even if it's 0-0 on 70 minutes, they know the the opposition team, if they're going to play that way, have got to be switched on for every second of 90 minutes. At some point they'll switch off and they'll get the chance.
1: John, if, if a team like Huddersfield does sit back and, and defend uh, deep and defend all the spaces, is that an opportunity for Guardiola's 3-5-2 sort of thing? Because there's just to get more bodies forward and, and, and kind of press that space a little bit more?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned positional play already, which is the sort of principles behind what Guardiola's trying to do. And against Huddersfield, he will play a four-man defence. What you're looking to exploit is those gaps between the the four-man defence, and so there's there's obviously three gaps between each of those four defenders, and then the outside. So you're looking at trying to get five players forward into those into those areas. Now you can do that with a four-three-three with your front three, and then your wing backs pushing up, or one of your wing backs pushing up, and one of your free eights pushing pushing into that space. So I think you, you can also obviously do that with a three-five-two as well. But I think in this in this scenario, I think what he will try and do is he'll probably stick with the four-three-three, given that De Bruyne is out. Um, because he is then going to try and rely on his his wide players playing in in the four through 3 He can have Sterling on one side. He could use Sane. He could use Mares as well. Uh, I think he'll probably stick with that. Given that losing De Bruyne is is so fundamental at this point. Uh, if he does go with the three five two, then you obviously get the wing backs pushing forward, and then one of your one of your midfielders shuttling up to try and help out as well. But I think at this point, given the the, the impact of the, of the De Bruyne injury. I think he'll probably just go with, with what's comfortable for the team.
1: Alan, there might have been no win on the charity bet for the Community Shield but we're off and underway for the season with a 2-0 victory at Arsenal thanks to the prediction from Andy McNabb on last week's show. Uh, That means we've got £100 in the pot already for this season for the Christie which is a cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, We've got three more £10 correct score single bets courtesy of William Hill coming up so hopefully we'll be able to add some more money to the pot uh, with the game against Huddersfield. We'll start off uh, with you John, uh, what's your prediction for the game?
2: I'm going for for two nil. I'm going to go with with City uh, scoring fairly early on in the first half, uh, and then and then Huddersfield being drawn out in the last few moments of the game and then being hit on the counter. But it'll be it'll be a a drag, I think. It'll be like you said, time for patience.
1: Two nil is uh, eleven to two, which would mean fifty
3: five quid for the pot. Howard, what are you having? Uh, bizarrely optimistic for me. I've gone for four nil. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you. What's that? You all right? You feeling oh, all yeah. right? Well. It's- don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, said it, I've said it now, so well, you I've said got to you stay got with 4-0 yeah.
1: Yeah. is 6-1, to one, so that'd be 60 quid. Uh, I've gone for 3-0 because I thought I'd complete the set and uh, and, and just kind of cover us, which means there'll definitely be a Huddersfield goal inside yep. the first 10 minutes. 9-2 <laughs> uh, to two is that, which is uh, £45. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Uh, Now then, with the number of records City broke last season and the slightly new shape and dynamics so far this season, it could well be another memorable year for the fans. Commentator Alistair Mann has watched this team through several incarnations down the years. Rob Wilson's been chatting to
7: him to get his thoughts on where the club is at. Whilst obviously nobody would have predicted the margin by which they won it, or the 100 points necessarily, it didn't shock me that in his second season after he'd had a few transfer windows and he'd had a few... You know, 18 months or so to get his point across and get the play to the method he wanted it, and he had the right goalkeeper. It didn't surprise me that the second season was as good as it was. Um, obviously, it exceeded the expectations, but it didn't it didn't shock me a great deal because I, I didn't anticipate that they would win the league in his first season in charge, despite the hype and despite the fact they got off to 10 wins in a row at the start of it um, and I also I think we talked about Sane who just signed who I'd seen a lot of in the Bundesliga and I said you know don't expect him to pull up any trees in the first year either but maybe in the second we might start seeing the best of him and so you you know it's not I'm being smart after the event I had a feeling it would take a, at least the first season for him to work things out and then maybe from the same season they'd have a go at the league and whether they'd win it in the second season I wasn't so sure but I guaranteed he'd have, he'd have won it by the end of his third season so it was it was obviously exceeded expectations but it was certainly not dissimilar to how I thought it would pan out
6: um, Talking a little bit more specifically about last season who was your
1: I mean I know there were so many to pick from but who was your like standout player from last season?
7: Kevin De Bruyne was um, without doubt the best player in the Premier League last season I know officially Salah was the best player in the Premier League last season but if I'm honest um, the contributions that Kevin De Bruyne made last season contributed to Manchester City winning the league by the size of margin that they did and therefore for me that makes him the best player in the division and what he did last season both defensively and offensively um, was a level of midfield play that we've rarely seen in the Premier League and so therefore I have to single him out but having said that I thought David Silva was exceptional, uh, even by his extraordinarily high lofty standards. I thought he was exceptional. If Kevin De Bruyne was 10 out of 10, he was 9.5. Sane had a good second part of the season. Um, But I don't think there was a player in the squad, and I include Zinchenko and Delph and players who weren't perhaps as maybe lauded as much, who didn't hit at least 8 out of 10 during last season. It was an exceptionally high standard season. And, you know, Otamendi played the best I've seen him play and Aguero made some outstanding contributions. Even despite injury, I thought Jesus started to show some signs of of how good he was. So Kevin De Bruyne to to be the only 10 out of 10 in a a season where everyone was at least eight and most of them were between nine and a half and 10. is only because he hit even higher standards than the others. A player who's everybody's, well, I think everybody's eyes are on
1: Phil Foden. Mm. What do you make of his progress so far and any kind of potential that he has?
7: Because I do a lot of work for City and i had done a lot of work uh, involving the under 23s and the under 18s and I'd seen him a few times, Phil Foden, um, He looked he looked exceptional at that level. And you hoped he would be able to develop into a senior player, showing the signs he's exhibited in the, in, in, in the junior ranks. And I think that game he played in that friendly against United, when okay, City lost the game, it was a meaningless scoreline. The pluses that came out of that performance were many. And Foden, Foden in that game was so good that I heard Pep say the kind of things he doesn't normally say about individuals, particularly at that age. And I thought, well, if Pep, with all his insights into players and the talent and the caliber of the players that he's worked with, is singling this kid out, then we're, we're witnessing something pretty special here. So I was delighted that he was a part of the first team setup. Um, I'm delighted that he got a medal, i.e. played enough games to get you know, the medal. He was outstanding, of course, in, in his age group when they won the World Cup. Um, but he's still a teenager. So I don't think he'll get that many games. I don't think he'll get much game time. But I do think he'll be in and around the squad more than he won't be. Um, and I don't see that as a bad thing. I don't think he he needs to be playing 20, 25 games this season. But he'll play 16 You know, three starts maybe and thirteen sub appearances, and that's enough. Because you don't want to overplay him. You don't want to start sending him out on loan and letting him pick up bad bad habits. Equally, you don't want him not to feel as though he's part of the squad. So I see him being, dare I say, nineteenth man on a lot of occasions, but being the guy that travels, being on the planes to the European games and so on. And I think that will all be part of his development. He'll play, bit you know, cameo appearances here and there. He'll play carabao cup hopefully city will make progress like we did last season and it will be the perfect way to build him up for what he is going to be which is an exceptional talent in his early 20s which he isn't there yet and because he's with pep pep will make sure he exceeds even the levels of potential that
0: he's obviously got this is the blue moon podcast but oh, don't worry it'll be over soon
1: Rob Wilson chatting to Alistair Mann. Now we're going to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you can send in your questions for our panel and they'll uh, they'll do the very best to answer them for you. At Blue Moon Podcast is probably the best way on Twitter to do it, but you can also email us, Blue Moon Podcast at gmail.com, or you can get us on the websites where you can message us through there, Blue Moon uh, First up is Harris Ahmed from Twitter. Why do media and pundits say the Champions League is City's priority when the Pep and the players say a number of times it's the Premier League?
2: Yeah, you know. The reason why this sort of question is being asked is because uh, the way that Manchester City play is, I think, a lot more percentage-based than the way that someone like Liverpool play. So so City, if they play a lot of times, you would expect them to win more times than you would expect them to lose, obviously. Um, in the long run, they're, they're going to come out well. When it comes to the Champions League, um, that's why teams like Liverpool suddenly, and, and, and Real Madrid as well, actually become uh, come into their ascendancy. Um, because the style of football that they play means that they can beat anyone on the day and, and often their their football style is, is benefited by, by the big occasion. So I think the reason why Pep and the players say that it's Premier League is they know that that's the, the form, the competition form that suits them best. So aim for the Premier League. The Premier League is obviously the, the more difficult to win, I think, in, in many respects, in terms of the fact that it's obviously way more games, uh, but also the competition is is very high as well. Whereas I think Champions League is a lot more down to to luck as well. So I think if you play down the play down the the Champions League and and play up the the Premier League, then Pep and the players are up to up to a winner.
1: Ultimately, though, do you think the club wants the Champions League more than the Premier League? I,
2: I think the, I think they want the Champions League, obviously. Um, whether or not more than the Premier League, I don't know. But I think given that they know that they're almost guaranteed to be. Um, Premier League winners season on season, and I think you know what we're seeing is that I think we're going to see Manchester City being the the, the Manchester United of of the of the 2010s, I guess we're in, and going into the 2020s. Um, the Champions League would be lovely, but I mean, look at the way that Manchester United were even even during the the 90s and the 2000s. They they won the league perennially, but they they struggled to win the Champions League. I, th- I just think there's the realization that there's there's so much more. It comes down to it comes down to luck, and so you, if you if you talk up the Champions League, then you're always sort of setting yourself up for a fall. But yeah, they will they'll be doing everything they can to to try and win the Champions League, of
1: course. How it's I mean, it, it is ultimately a cup competition, and we saw over the last couple of years. You know, City's team under Pellegrini was by far and away not the best in England, but got furthest in the Champions League. Mm. They got good draws, and they were they played well in certain games. You know, last season they ran into Liverpool.
3: Yeah, I will. I think John summed it up well. It's just I think for Pep the league tells you how good his team is. A cup competition never does. Uh and I mean that's you know, that's stretching it a bit because uh if you win the Champions League, you must be you must be alright. You must be he, yeah. pretty damn good, yeah. Uh, but there's such fine lines. Just in the latter stages, there's such fine lines. It can be a referee mistake, it, yeah. an offside goal, and I'm not making excuses for the Liverpool performance. Well, there was an offside goal and the, a referee mistake. So yeah. I'm not gonna miss it. Two, yeah, well, there was two wrong ones over the two <laughs> legs. And yeah, it's a disgrace, and they should replay the game. But, uh, <laughs> we'll set up a petition. That's what we'll do. Uh, but yeah, fine lines. If you know, carries don't throw it in in there final, uh would you have done better? That's cup competitions. It's you know, if Millwall Millwall can get to an FA Cup final, it's the draw you get. You know, when City won the FA Cup in two thousand twelve, we got a fairly nice ride until the semi final. Uh and then obviously United. And Stokes not the worst team to play in the final either. So sorry they say twelve in eleven. Uh so yeah, I think for I think our owners originally they must have think the champions league is the one that the club must win for you know because it's a pr exercise in the end but city are already there getting them the attention they need and the league it's the bread and butter and over 9 months there's fewer fine lines between you know Generally, the best team is the one that well, you don't the you top... don't
1: win the premier league by accident do you? No. I think that's the
3: the ultimate i think obviously the club at some point needs to win that champions league just to get the get it off the back yeah you know. but if you win the league, you know, even every other season, that is success for me. So.
1: And finally, Josh Robinson's been in touch through the website, bloomingpodcast.com. Are you concerned about Raheem Sterling's contract situation? John, he's got two years left on his contract. Um, there's, there, there's talk that he's that, that him and the club are, are, are not quite there with, uh, with agreeing a deal yet. It's, it's, it, certainly you can see why City fans might be a little concerned at this stage.
2: Yeah, I can see why City fans would be concerned. I think maybe I'm not the best person to ask whether or not I'm concerned about his contract situation. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess in the back of your mind, you have the way that he ended his time at Liverpool, perhaps um, two years. I think two years. The question, the question with these sort of hypotheticals, is always going to be what? What's the practical? What's the most likely practical? Out outcome from this like where where do we think that Sterling would want to go do we do we see him going somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona um are there any other clubs that that he might consider of being in that level would he consider PSG um I don't know so and then the other question is would he go to any other English clubs and I think when you when you consider those those two questions then against the background of the context in which he moved from Liverpool to Manchester City I think it's, it's it's a slightly different scenario manchester city are one of the biggest football clubs in the world and i think the only move he's ever going to do is going to be sideways and, and the question then would be Are uh, city willing to offer him the same sort of money and would he have a hankering to go and live in somewhere like madrid or yeah or in paris i guess um he doesn't strike me as the sort of person who would want to leave the uk um so I think those those would be the sorts of practical questions that I would ask um, if I if I came. I'm I'm not the person to ask because I don't know him well enough, and you guys will have a much better knowledge of what he's like as as an individual. Um, but if if the answer to that question is yes, I could see him going to to Real Madrid, I could see him going to Barcelona um, or Paris Saint Germain. Then yeah, I would probably be a little bit concerned if I was if I was a fan. But no doubt no doubt the club will tie up a contract with him just in order to get money from him if he does want to leave how would you
1: i mean you'd expect it it would be a situation where he wouldn't particularly want to leave because under guardiola he has you can you can see how much he's flourished
3: yeah without any blinkers on it's perfect for him uh i have heard i mean I've heard you hear so much i don't know what's right obviously i don't have any uh inside information but i thought you know i've heard rumblings that he thinks his end game is real madrid uh now that assumes they want him uh, cuz they might not uh Yeah, it's no guarantee. He's literally playing his best football because of where he is. Right, well,
1: uh, that's it for this week on the Blue Moon Podcast. If you want to get your question in for us, the panel next week, uh, at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter, bluemoonpodcast.com as well on the uh, website. Uh, Thank you very much to my two guests, Howard Hockin. A pleasure. And uh, for a very late substitute, uh, John McKenzie, thank you very much for uh, for joining us.
2: No, it's been great. I've had a good time.
1: Thank you very much. Um, we've got a, an extra special Patreon show coming up for uh, everybody who backs $2 a month on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. This week we're talking uh, about the talent that was Georgie King-Cladsey. So, uh, so go, on, uh, go and check that out there. Uh, we've also got an extra special uh, Patreon show this week only. Rob Wilson also spoke to Alistair Mann about uh, City under Kevin Keegan uh, back in the early 2000s, so go and check that out as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.